0: Good morning. My name is Natasha, and the second Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind at Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. This is God's word.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors at our church. And, and you are indeed the faithful remnant. The faithful few uh, double blessings to you, <laughs> but I, I trust that many are tuning in online at the moment, and so welcome to you too. Well, let's uh, pray once again. Do keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be spending our time in this passage this morning, uh, but let's uh, turn to God in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, please teach us what we do not know, that we might know of the glories of who you are, what it means for us to belong to you in your in your holy family and so teach us lord be our lord be our savior be our teacher and be the one who comforts us and we pray these things in jesus name amen well we have come to the last sunday of the year and the year is almost before us and when we come to the end it is always a good time to reflect on the year that was not just the year that was in our world am i on sorry Yep, you can hear me i might go to this okay well it's always worth reflecting on the year that was not just in our world but also in the lives that god has given us And it's always worth doing some self-reflection and wondering whether we want this year repeated next year. What do you think? Would we like that? Probably not. But I do find it hard reflecting, not just on the year that was, but more so on what God has done in my life. And for you to reflect on what God has done in your life this year and upon your hearts And what changes God has done in you and through you. Just take a moment just to reflect on this past year. Not the changes and what has happened out there, but what has taken place in here. So reflecting on that, this past year, I'd like to ask you, reflecting on what God has done, have you seen any changes in your own character? What do you think? Any changes? Any progress in godliness? It's not easy, is it, to reflect on this. So we're not thinking about the world outside, but we're thinking upon the hearts that God has given us. Was it a year where we have grown, not just physically, some of us up and some of us sideways, but spiritually? Have we grown spiritually? Have we made progress in that way? Or was it a year for some of us where we have, in fact, started backsliding a bit? It's worth reflecting on as we come to the end of the year. And so those around you, how might they describe what has happened to you this year? Or reflecting on what God might say, how would God describe what has happened to you? Well, in our passage today, it is sandwiched by two beautiful statements about Jesus and his progress. And so we see the sandwich, one at the end of the first week of Christmas, and so in verse 40, And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So after Christmas, that was what was said about Jesus. And then we get the other statement at the end, other sandwich, when he turned 12 at verse 52, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so, as we reflect on what was said about Jesus, I want us to reflect on could that be said about us as well this year? Have we grown in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men? Have we grown in grace? What do you think? Well, let's turn to this passage, and we'll come back to that thought later. Now, this story is the only story in all the Gospels recorded of of anything that happened in between Jesus being born and a child and him being a 30-year-old man. Now, I suspect you might be familiar with this story because there is only this one story of Jesus as as a young boy. And you may have wondered, thinking about this story... Why aren't there more stories of Jesus as a child? Why didn't the evangelists include more of his stories of him maybe going to school? And it makes you wonder what was he like at school? Was he the the top of his class? Was he one of those students who knew it all? What was he like? Or what was he like when he turned into, you know, the terrible two years? What was Jesus like? Or when Jesus was asked by Mary and Joseph to do the chores, what was he like? How did he respond? Did he respond like our children? I mean, getting our kids to do the chores is a chore to tell them to do the chores. And so from eight-day-old baby to 30-year-old man at his baptism, we're told of nothing of his life apart from this story. Now, that may seem strange or even a bit out of place, but but it's here for a purpose. In fact, in the ancient world, the, the scrolls in which these authors wrote the stories and the, the Gospels on, these long scrolls, they can go for about 10 meters. So you roll it out and it goes for about 10 meters. The gospel of Luke was almost that long. And so you can just imagine the I mean the, the evangelist Luke, the Doctor Luke. he wouldn't want to use up any space that was not important. And so this story is here for a purpose. And so the story begins about 12 years after Christmas. And what we can see here was that Mary and Joseph are your righteous, devout Jewish family. Each year, according to the Jewish laws, there were three pilgrim feasts which involved travelling to Jerusalem. And so you can imagine the Jewish people scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Three times a year it was expected. Not all of them can uh, go at all three feasts, but the big one was the Passover. And this was the big one. Now Passover, if you remember what that feast was about, it was to commemorate how God saved his people out of Egypt, delivered them from Egypt, the ten plagues, the splitting of the sea, the Moses story. It was to commemorate that. Now what was significant about this year? Why did Luke just include this one? Not the journey at 11 or 13 or 14. Why this one? Well, Jesus was 12 years old. Now, in terms of the culture of the day, he would be making his transition from childhood to adulthood. By 13, a Jewish boy could become a son of the commandment, which means he could become a full member of the synagogue. By which time, a 13-year-old boy would have memorized much of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, we might find this a bit surprising, 13, an adult, I mean, 13-year-old boys today aren't very mature, right? We know that. In fact, adolescence today is not just the teenage years anymore. It extends up to, you know, 24, 25, you know, boys just taking a lot longer to grow old and become men. But it wasn't very many generations ago, if you think about it, or even in parts of the world today, where you have no choice but to grow up early because your livelihood depended upon it. And so this year, just like every year, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus along, presumably with the younger siblings as well, along to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And what do we read? Well, have a look at verse 43 with me. At the, after the feast was over... While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company. They travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now when you read that, you might be thinking, what's going on here? What were Mary and Joseph thinking? How could they forget their son after a day? Especially compared to the parents we see today. You know, many of our parents today, they're like what you call the helicopter mums and dads. They're always, you know, around their children. They know exactly where their children are. And if they're away for a moment, you just check on the iPhone app and you find my friend or find my kid and you know exactly where they are. But forgetting children, it can happen. It can happen. I, I do feel terrible sharing this story but there was this time when it did happen for us. It was about five, six years ago. We picked up the kids from school and picked up one of the friends as well, which meant we had to use our seven seater. And so we had to have the back seat up. Our daughter, Esther, she was in the third row. She was probably about eight or nine years old. After coming home, after dropping off the friend and coming home, we locked the door, we went in and I went to my study. And then after about 20 minutes, I called out to Esther, Esther. And why I was calling out to her? Because I was to remind her to unload the dishwasher. And I called her, went around, where's Esther? Where's... And then it occurred to me, she's still in the car in the third row. And so I rushed out, opened the back door, and there she came out crying. I felt terrible that day as a parent. Now, just in case you're wondering, it wasn't a hot day. But I did feel terrible, and I recorded down that story thinking it might come useful one day in a sermon illustration, so here it is. (laughs) But that was only 20 minutes, and my heart sank. I couldn't find my daughter. But what were Mary and Joseph thinking here? It wasn't 20 minutes. It was after a day of travelling. Well, you see, the pilgrimages to Jerusalem, it was something that was done not just with the immediate family, not just mum and dad and children. It was pretty much the Jews in the town travelling together in a caravan. It was a big deal. It was always a big affair. And when they travelled, it was the women and children who would travel first and the men would follow behind. And so Mary would probably be thinking, well, I thought he was with you, Joseph. And Joseph perhaps thinking the same thing. But perhaps it just shows that they, in fact, Trusted Jesus to do and to be where he was meant to be. He was mature enough. But the desperate search began. And how long did it take? Well, just imagine how desperate they must have been after a day of realizing, where is this Jesus? I mean, my heart sank not finding Esther, 20 minutes. But for them, it was three days. And as they were searching around Jerusalem, you can just imagine what was going through in their minds. I mean, where was he sleeping the last few days? What would he have been eating? Would he, is he still safe? And then what do we read? Well, an amazed discovery. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, if that was you, you too would be astonished just like them. I mean, just imagine running home from church and forgetting, I left little Johnny at church. Then coming back to church and finding little Johnny still in the church, still here, and wanting to listen to more sermons, bring it on, preach to me some more, and asking questions about predestination, atonement, the kingdom of God. If you found little Johnny doing that, you too would be astonished. But, but notice what Jesus was doing here. What do we learn about him? Well, what we see here is we learn of his humanity. We see what it meant for him to be born as a man, to take on human flesh. We see, in a sense, the limits of humanity. Though who was the divine son of God, he had to learn and grow. Fascinating, isn't it, that the almighty Lord, God the Son, had to learn and grow. He shows us here what it looks like to desire to know the word of God more deeply. You see, he wasn't sitting there in the temple just listening with a blank face and glass eyes. You know that look? I know that look almost every Sunday. <laughs> no, not, that's not all of you. But his questions showed his desire to delve more deeply into the word of God. And it's often the, the piercing questions that reveals and shows the wisdom, not just the answers, but, of course, he showed great insight and, and wisdom in his answers as well. But it must also make you wonder, amongst those he, were, he was learning from, you, you must wonder some of those teachers of the laws there, the, the Pharisees meeting this young 12-year-old Jesus, not knowing much but impressed by him. And you must wonder whether, you know, a few decades later, they will be also those who would, who would accuse him. And condemn him. And you wonder also whether Nicodemus was amongst that crowd. But anyway, this incident was Jesus showing us how to be human, to love the Word of God, for by it we know God more. You see, here we see his humanity. Now, what did Mary say after finding her long lost son? Well, it was a little bit of a rebuke. I mean, she said what any mother would say, verse 48. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now now that's a bit of an understatement, in fact. The word anxiously means to experience mental and spiritual pain, to be distressed. And of course you would be if you haven't found your son for three days. You will be greatly and deeply distressed. And so we see here the mother of Jesus Rebuking the Son of God, an interesting dynamic here. And how did Jesus respond? Well, here we come to the crux of this passage. Look at verse 49. Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? Now, we might be taken back a bit by what Jesus said here, but let's try to understand it. Why are you searching for me, Jesus said, which implies Jesus thought that they should have known where he was and what he was doing. I mean, if Jesus was found on the streets playing soccer, ancient cricket, he couldn't have said such a thing. But they should have known, if I'm not with my father, Joseph, then I'm with my true father. And then Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, in the original language, the word house is in fact not there. It's often translated as my father's house because of the context, and that makes sense. But it's more literally translated, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in the things of my father or the business of my father? You see, what we miss in the translation is this phrase, it was necessary. I must be here. This was where I must be. I must be doing what I'm doing now. I am where I am supposed to be. That's the emphasis. You see, this this word in the Greek, which we miss in the English, is often seen as the divine necessity. It must be this way. And we see in the later parts of this gospel as well, And so later in Luke, when Jesus said, I must preach the good news, it is that same word, must. Or in chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And in 24, after the resurrection to the disciples, Jesus said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And so Jesus was saying to his parents, this was where I must be. In the purposes of God, I must be at my father's house about my father's business. And Jesus was saying, that should have been no surprise to you. And so what we see here was not just his humanity now. In learning and growing, we see his humanity. But what we're seeing here was also his divinity. He was acutely aware of his identity, of who he was I'm the unique son of God, and God is my father. You see, any devout Jewish person cannot claim that God is my father. They wouldn't dare say that. But Jesus discloses here, I've got a unique relationship with God. He is my father. And his purpose was to do the father's will. Now just remember again, he was only 12 years old. So clear on his identity And so clear on his purpose, I cannot do anything apart from what the Father tells me. What the Father shows me, that is what I know. It is only the Father's will that I will do. And so what we have here, if you think about the gospel stories, this gospel and the other gospel stories, the very first recorded words of Jesus is a claim to his unique relationship with God. And, of course, that is also a relationship he brings us into. And so after the response of Jesus, they obviously had no clue what Jesus was talking about. But how did the parents respond? Well, any parent, you would expect them, and I can see myself doing this, any parent, you expect them to say, what do you say? How dare you speak to me this way? you can just imagine any mum ringing the ear of a child and saying, come with me now. But what happened here? What did Mary do? Well, she didn't do that. And Jesus certainly he did not show any insubordination in his response. Because notice what happened later. He followed and he was obedient to them. And so if anything for us boys and girls, if you want to know whether Jesus obeyed his parents, well, here it is. But how did Mary respond? Well, she treasured that memory. She pondered that upon her heart. Just a bit like what happened when the shepherds visited her on the first Christmas. She pondered it upon her heart. Verse 51. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She pondered upon the words of Jesus. Because what will happen one day? The one she delivered... Will one day deliver her. And the childhood of Jesus now finishes off with this wonderful summary that speaks once again of his humanity. He grew in wisdom. He identifies with us as people in all our weaknesses, but was perfect and without sin. And so our final verse, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Somehow, infinitely, God the Son, the divine Son of God, he grew in wisdom and stature and favour with God. God was pleased with him. And so let me ask you now, why do you think that story was included in the Gospel of Luke? Out of all the stories he could have picked from, from his childhood, from his teenage years, from his young adult life, he picked this. Why? Well, firstly, I think what's happening here is a little glimpse of what will eventually take place for Jesus. Even at such a young age, he was fully aware of who he was and where he must be in the purposes of God. And each year, Passover after Passover feast, it was in a sense preparation for him For the greater Passover to come. I mean, imagine Jesus as a young boy, listening and learning from the teachers of the law, learning from the different prophets, hearing from the teachers and hearing passages like Isaiah 53. You know that one? Isaiah 53. He will be pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I mean, imagine what Jesus would have been thinking hearing that, hearing that taught and explained. He'll be thinking, one day, that will be me. I'm the one who will be pierced. I'm the one who will be crushed. I'm the one who will be punished by God. Because that was exactly what happened 21 years after this Passover. Also at the Passover. Remember that story? At the end of Luke now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't Jesus say then what he said as a 12-year-old boy? I must be in my father's business. I must be on the things of my father. And wasn't that the prayer he prayed with sweats of blood? Not my will, but your will, Father. Not my purpose, but your purpose. You see, all those years was preparation. For him to be that Savior. And even at that last supper, when he speaking to the disciples, that was what he talked about. It's the will of the Father, my body will be broken for you, my blood will be shed for you. And that was exactly what happened the very next day. You see, at the foot of the cross, Mary saw her son pierced, and just like what Simeon said, her soul was pierced as well. So why? Why did Jesus do such a thing? You see, this was all preparation for what what is to come. And what is to come? Why did that happen? Well, isn't it so that this unique Son of God can also make us sons and daughters of God? It is salvation. It is adoption. It is to be brought into the family of God. Isn't it so that the favour that was upon him, might also be upon us I mean you read of of what what is there in 52 he was he had the favor of God upon him and you read that and you think well I want that favor too well that was exactly what was achieved the favor that was upon him might fall upon us as well and isn't it so that we might have the greatest privilege of all that we can call Almighty God he's my father as well. He's my Father as well. You see, if that is not true for you this morning, that you do not know of God as Father, that God is just some distant, powerful deity, well, as we reflected on the year that has passed, well, let me put it to you, perhaps one goal for you this coming year is to come to know this God because of his Son, Jesus Christ, so that you might know him as Father as well. Maybe your goal might be to see that the Son of God came to bring you into the family of God. But for those of us who already know that this is true for us, we know that the Christmas story always leads to the Easter story. That is the trajectory. Well, I did start today getting us to reflect on this year. And I wonder whether in the providence of God, this is God's timely message for us now. As we look into the new year, what will this new year look like for us? Well, we hope it's not like this year. But what will it be for us upon our hearts, in our very purpose? What will we live for? Who will we live for? Well, perhaps this is that timely message. Jesus, as a 12-year-old child, knew exactly what he was doing, who he was living for, where he must be. And perhaps for us, into this next year, we might want to reflect and echo what Jesus said as well. This next year, I don't know what holds. I have no idea what holds. But what I want is that I must be also about my father's business. I also must be within the purposes of God for me. I must be knowing my father more by knowing his word more deeply, just like Jesus did. And it is my Father I love and serve. You see, for what purpose will have eternal significance than that? And so just as Jesus, we read, grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men, may that also be for us this coming year. We don't know what that will look like, but at least may that be true, so that by the end of next year we can say, well, we have grown in wisdom, in stature, just like our older brother Jesus Christ, because of God our Father in heaven. May we too look forward to this new year growing in wisdom, in stature, and in favour with God and men. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this part of Scripture that shows us the Lord Jesus, even as a young boy, knew exactly who he belonged to and what he came for. And Lord, we pray that you give us that clarity too, that we know that we belong to you as your children. And so help us, Lord, to have our life's purpose to live for you. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.